0: We are back for well the the one episode that we've basically been previewing for an an entire year. I'm Abby Mickey. I've got Lauren Rowney on the podcast with me, still, still here. Potentially the last one for her three week for like you know she's allowed three weeks off. We we've discussed it. But Lauren, hello, how's it going?
1: Good morning. Happy to still be here.
0: I think I'll still be here after the road race, to
1: be honest. You're going to make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hedging bets. He's staying in there a long time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amy Jones, hello.
2: Hello. I feel like we should start doing predictions for when Lauren's going to pop.
1: Hey, I got a book yesterday from my sister-in-law, which was like the sweetest thing. She contacted a bunch of people and got predictions about everything about the baby.
0: So yeah, throw them at me. And a special guest today, Gracie Alvin. Gracie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, Hey guys,
3: it's always great to be with you. Some of my favorite people in cycling on the other side of the
0: fence. We're here to talk about the Olympics, of course. Olympics coming up imminently. But before we dive into that, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. Training outdoors It's always a toss-up whether or not you're gonna be able to do your intervals properly. You've gotta find the perfect road. It has to have the perfect undulation. It has to, you know, no traffic lights, stop signs. Sometimes cars get in the way. But on Zwift, on-demand workouts take less time because they can be squeezed into a busy week. Everything is compact into a precise training structure. It's my favorite thing about Zwift. I absolutely love all of the built-in workouts on there. Anna Vanderbregen has a designated workout on there called Fun is Staying Cool that's all about surging hard and then attacking again with seemingly no recovery. Well, okay, knowing that Anna Vanderbregen has a workout on there, I think it's no secret that we're we're fans. I'm actually going to probably do that today. That sounds great.
1: That sounds so painful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There are thousands of workouts to choose from on Zwift, so check it out. And thank you so much to Zwift for sponsoring this episode. I just and Van Bregen. everything she touches, man,
1: man. But that's like what she does, right? She does surge and then just like effortlessly doesn't change any expression on her face. No, still looks beautiful on the bike.
0: Whereas everyone else is like rocking Impeccable. their hips and everything. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, that would that's always like the funnest workout though is when you do. You know, my favorites were always the forty twenties. We've talked about this. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> I love 4020s. I used to dread that session. <laughs> I uh, think I've only but- ever
3: done 4020s like once or twice in my whole career as a cyclist. <laughs> really? I used to do 2040s. 2040s are good, not 4020s. I like 2040s. I used to say 2040s and everyone
2: used to be like, no, it's 4020s. What are you talking about? Huh. I mean, look how far it got me. But
1: <laughs> hey, if Gracie did 2040s and got second at Tour of Flanders, that's something. I did 40/20 so many times. I hated it. I was like, can't
0: it be 30/30s or yeah, 20/40s. 30/30s are fun too, for sure. Yeah. I like the workouts there where you go out and you're like, okay, I'm going to go hard until that stop sign and then I'm going to go easy. And then like or like when you are listening to a, to music or something and you're like, oh, when the beast when the when the beat drops, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to sprint. Oh my god. How do you do a session for Taylor Swift though? there's no beat drop in yeah. taylor swift unless you're listening to i knew you were trouble and then you only just sprint Ooh. the one time maybe that's my problem i'm listening to too much taylor swift the beat doesn't drop and then i just never sprinted in my whole career
2: <laughs> i was gonna now do you still do that because like i literally just hack around listening to podcasts
0: i can't listen to podcasts i work in podcasts too much that i uh, podcasts used to be my favorite thing in the world and now i can't listen to them anymore well, that's
2: a bit sad. Even like non-cycling ones.
0: I have a couple, but well, to be fair, the tour has been monopolizing my life. And so with the tour over, I can probably catch up on my podcast now. But I, my favorite podcast, absolute favorite podcast right now that I will drop anything as soon as a new episode comes out is The Friendship Onion with... Dominic Monahan and Billy Boyd, the uh, Frodo and Pippin, or no, Pippin and Mary from uh, Lord of the Rings movies. Really? Oh my god! I need to get onto this. Oh my god! It's so good. It's so good. They they just like shoot the shit, and it's just so entertaining. They're deep dudes too.
1: Of course, this is like your favorite podcast. Actually,
0: you shouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> You're secretly a massive nerd, aren't you? secretly <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 we're gonna talk i think about we're bike racing. It's, it's pretty safe to
3: say i think we're all massive nerds let's just keep yeah.
0: that one on the table that's very true we're, yeah. we're we're here on this podcast to talk about like the nichest of niche sports within a niche sport so
2: <laughs> i thought i was really cool sure yeah. sure we're <laughs> not- <laughs> Wow. We're all cool. I need to reassess my life.
3: No, we all think <laughs> that each other is cool and that's all that matters as well.
0: That's definitely true. That is true. Yeah.
3: I always thought like the coolest people in cycling in any other setting would be the least cool people in that other setting. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, yeah, cyclists aren't
2: really like skinny, kind of like wearing lycra all day, slightly it's not the coolest, is it? Let's be real. On the outside.
0: But girl cyclists are cooler than boy cyclists.
2: Yes. I mean, that's a given. That's a given.
0: Yeah. Fact.
2: Now we're going to get hate, aren't we?
0: <laughs> no, because all the boy cyclists who listen to this podcast agree with us.
2: All the boys. How many are there? Because
0: there's a few. There's at least four. <laughs> the two. <laughs> Hi, Toms. <laughs> <laughs> anyway anyway all right so we're gonna talk about the tokyo olympic games coming up we've yeah like i've said we've been previewing this basically the entire year every single conversation we've ever had since i don't know january 2019 has all linked to the tokyo 2020 olympics because they didn't change their name so they're still tokyo 2020 the hashtag is tokyo 2020 um, even though we all want to just pretend that 2020 never existed, but I've have I've dived into internal sources at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics and figured out what the course is actually going to be. I'm here to say that I was wrong; that the course is actually not as tame as I thought it was going to be. It's not actually a flat run into a very large climb, to a plateau, to a tiny kicker, to a descent, to a speedway. That is actually not how it is. I've chatted with two of the athletes who have ridden it and also the coach for Cycling Canada, Sean. And uh, apparently the course is absolutely brutal. So they start and it's like rolling poppy punchy climbs all the way to the base of the big climb that then kind of stair steps for a really long time. So there's some really steep sections to the plateau. And then the kicker at the top that goes kind of around the, they, they descend, they reach the top of the big climb and then there's like a plateau and they go around a lake and the climb around the lake, according to one of the athletes I'd chatted with, has a really brutal kicker of a climb that is a perfect launching pad for any attacks that want to go before the motorway. They descend to the motorway. The descent is super technical and steep. And then once on the motorway, it's never flat. It's just constantly rolling. There's even like, and I quote, walls. So this pretty... It doesn't exactly change who we're probably going to talk about for the race, but it definitely changes how exciting the race is going to be and how many opportunities other people have. So, yeah, that's, I don't know, that's the course brutal. Sounds like it's going to be super exciting. Sean, when, when he sent me a voice memo, he said, he thought it was going to be, like we were saying on the other podcasts, that it was going to be a pretty tame course. And there's only a couple of opportunities for people to, like as far as the terrain was concerned, to have uh, chances to, to make something happen. But it sounds like it has been confirmed that it's actually quite a fascinating course for the women. Where do we start? Where do we start unpacking? I see
1: Amy is
2: thinking. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for I was like, Lauren's been waiting to talk about this. I'm just a bit
1: thrown now. I mean, well, I'm excited. Like if it's going to be a super hard course, I don't know. I mean, leading into the Rio Olympics, right. It was all talk just about really that final climb. There were some really hard, uh cobble sections from memory gracie i mean grace you were at the last Olympics, so i mean being an athlete who who was going to the olympics and preparing mentally but not having seen the course until you got there um what do
3: you think of this yeah like a lot of riders do go to preview a course the year before so i don't know how many women do this um i'm pretty sure in for rio I can't even remember who went and saw the course for us, but it would have only been one or two riders and it wasn't me. (laughs) So, yeah, the first time you see it is the week that you get there. Um, I'm pretty sure Tiff Cromwell might have seen this course. I think she went to the test event. Yeah, she did. So she'd have an idea. But, yeah, like um, it really depends what your role is too. For me, that big climb was kind of irrelevant because my job was, um, for before then. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely intrigued of this year's course because I think even though there is a big climb in it, it's earlier in the race. And I think that's really good because I want it to be unpredictable and exciting. And if there was a big climb like there was at Rio near the end of the race, you can really, you know, narrow it down to a handful of riders that are going to win um, which is you know three out of four of the Dutch riders so um, I don't know I'm really I am excited about this year and, and in the past I was trying to make the team to go to Tokyo for my second Olympics before I decided to retire And even right after Tokyo, sorry, right after Rio, they were talking about it being more of a classics kind of course and I was getting excited. I thought it was going to be like a more of a circuit race. And then a couple of years before um, the Games, they announced the course and they had the big climb in it. And I was like, no, so devastated that it was going to be another epic climb like there was at Rio and all of these uh, world championships. So, yeah, I think that sure it will be a big factor of the race, but I think it's really going to come down to those, the walls and the, 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 the interesting parts of the second half of this course, which is yeah going to lend itself to less predictable racing.
1: And I think there were some disappointed riders um, like uh, Cecile Ludwig was one of them who was very vocal that, you know, we weren't going up Mount Fuji and this and that and, But what Gracie has just said, actually, if they had gone up Mount Fuji, that would play into the hands of literally two or three riders. From what Abby has rattled off from from Sean, from the Canadian team, yeah, it's going to open it wide up, like wide open for many different riders.
2: I mean, there's also still like 2,600 metres of elevation over like 140K or whatever it is. So... It's not exactly flat. Like if they'd had Fuji, that would have been like
1: three. Like you say,
2: it would bid. <laughs> yeah. And like you say, it would have mean would have meant that like only a few only a handful of like the usual suspects would be there.
0: I mean so. so from what it sounds like, it's it's just a race of attrition. It's just gonna be slowly popping riders off the back until, you know, they get to that poppy climb. Uh, around the lake um, before they descend to the motorway. So it, it does sound a little bit like a classic with that climb thrown in. It is interesting that a lot of... It, this always is hilarious to me to see people react to courses because Anamique was also really vocal about not being stoked about this course. Um, but I think it's I think it's great when, race, when races are different. I mean, the Olympics are... You should have a variety of different riders who can win the Olympics every year, right? We had climbers. Well, a climb, cl- a pure climber didn't win in Rio, but two almost did. And now we've got this classics type course. Paris, I've heard, is pretty much going to be a bunch sprint. And so I th- I think it's nice. I think it's great when this happens. I think the, the world should also be like this, you know, when the course changes and the terrain changes based on where they are and, and it opens up the possibility to a handful of different riders for, with different strengths. I think it's great. And this this one is going to be, yeah, race of attrition. Whoever is the last person standing at the end of a very long, uh, well, not very long, 137K, but... You know, the every single tiny little uh, wall that they hit, every single little uphill is going to really, really crack some legs. And I I'm stoked. I'm really, really excited. I'm way more excited about this course than I was when I thought it was just a flat run into a long, gradual climb to a plateau, to a descent to like f1 track i'm way way more excited now knowing that it's going to be the terrain kind of lends itself to a lot more of the riders that i think naturally make the race more exciting
1: i'm curious how okay so the olympics is a different sort of race to what we're used to because of team dynamics right i mean for one you're not racing with your trade team it's like you've gone to a national team but it's not like the worlds where you line up with anywhere between five and eight riders, depending on your ranking. Like We've briefly discussed this, but riders like Lizzie Dignan, I mean, she's got one rider to ride in support of her. Amelia Farlin is on her own. Cecile, I guess, is with one other. Um, And the Dutch have four. So in terms of team tactics, if this is really a race of attrition with quite a few potential opportunities for for the race to split up and things to get moving and going. Unlike Rio, where Gracie was saying it was like really a race to the bottom of the climb and then a handful of riders to see what would happen at the top of that climb. So in terms of team dynamics and race tactics, uh, it's for me a lot harder to not predict but understand how the, the race will unfold if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I agree and it's much harder to, to have control as a team when you've only got four riders maximum. And say for the Dutch they're clearly the favorites, but that's a it's for a team of four winners instead of a team of one or two winners and two workers. So it's kind of interesting, like with that kind of dynamic as well, it's not just the size of the team, it's the composition of these teams, and maybe Lizzie Diagnan is um, disadvantaged because of her team size, but maybe it evens out because she has someone that's actually working for her rather than someone that could also win.
1: Yeah, that's that's spot on. It's, I guess, the debate we were having with um, the US selections when that came about, and we were harping on about the fact that you know, just because you put a team of winners together doesn't mean uh, they're going to come away with the win because cycling, my boyfriend was actually getting into heated discussion about this. He's like, I don't understand your team, your, your sport is such a team sport. Like if we watch the, the Tour de France, the Giro, it's all about um, supporting that one rider for that overall GC win or in the sprint, for example, but not everyone gets to stand on the podium. But if you put four winners who could actually win the race, you know, when those early moves are going and like, how do you decide which which rider is, is going to go in a sense? And there's always going to be that little voice in the back of your head. I mean, I've never been to Olympic Games, but if I was on the Dutch team and every one of them could potentially win this race, how do you put your own selfish goals aside
3: in a sense does that make sense it's very difficult yeah and for any other race it's like maybe you are really professional and you wait your turn or you play a role but it's the olympics and there's one gold medal every four years so yeah like how how do you be a good team player but still you know do what, what you want to do as well like I think it's the, the Dutch team is going to be the most interesting to watch, in my opinion.
2: That's been the eternal question at every single world, like for ages now, like, and everyone goes into it like, oh, what are the Dutch going to do? Because they've got so many favourites, they'll probably fall apart and not be able to work together and then they just win.
3: yeah. They
0: do seem to
2: pull yeah.
0: it together. <laughs> do you guys remember when, I can't remember, if it, I think it was after Rio, but I feel like this happens almost every Olympic cycle and and even other times as well, where people within the sport band together and try to get it so you, the all four riders or however many are on the team get to stand on the podium at the end of the race. I remember that after the games in Rio, reading something about how cycling needs to change in that at the end of the race, the whole team stands up there because yeah, one person physically, you know, crossed the line first, but it took the whole team to get them there.
1: My, my boyfriend actually related it to football. And honestly, I'd never really thought of it this way, but he said, you only have a couple of guys that are kicking the goals and essentially they're the ones who have won the game for the team, right? The ones that are scoring, but On a football team, you've got everyone doing their own role to set up that player so he can do what he needs to do to score the goal and win the match. But cycling is, yeah, you've got one person who gets across the line first, and then everyone else is throwing everything they have at that person getting across the line first. So it's a team sport, 100%, but one person stands on that podium at the end of the day. Don't talk to me about football. So... (laughs) (laughs) You're still better. <laughs> no, but he was trying to just, like, I swear, for 30 minutes he was, like, trying to, in his head, like, reason this, because he went as an individual athlete to the Olympics, so it was him on his own, but even if he'd been in the crew of eight, or the crew of four, or a double, it was like he got to stand on the podium with his crew members, but... This is something, I don't know, I've never really thought about, to be honest, because it's just like you just accept it's part of the sport, right? You could be in the sport your whole life and maybe win one race or win no races as a professional, but have a fantastic career. Um, But anyone outside of the sport would look
3: at that and go, oh, okay, you never won a race. Yeah. There's certainly some nice gestures in cycling that are, not required or official, you know, like in the Tour de France on that last stage, the UAE team all had different jerseys on with yellow and they have yellow gloves and yellow handlebar tape and the whole team gets to kind of wear the yellow. And like when I raced at the Commonwealth Games and Chloe Hosking got the gold medal, she got all the rest of the team names engraved on that gold medal and that was, yeah, one of the nicest gestures I've ever experienced in my career. That I, yeah, like it is. It does feel unfair sometimes when it, it sometimes is like the most team effort you could ever put in. Like you know, when you're in that team situation and your teammate wins, and you
0: know everyone did the
3: perfect role that day, and then only one person gets to stand on the podium. It, it is a bit sad, actually.
0: It would be cool if everyone. It like a team time trial is the dying event that riders love. Because it's the only one where they all get to stand on the podium together. And I feel like we say we're a team sport, but we really don't act like it. And it's kind of a bummer. But anyway, returning to the race. If we look at kind of the start list, I mean, well, for the Dutch, we can kind of break it up into sections on the course where the riders on the Dutch team are more... Likely to make a move, I feel like you can break up the course. You know, for Anna Meek, she's gonna want to go for a long range attack, so she's probably looking at that long, stair steppy climb. And then uh, Anna Vandebregen will probably look at the kicker around the lake before they descend to the motorway. And then, once on the motorway, I mean, Anna Meek, uh. Anna Vandenbregen could still go on the motorway, but I feel like if it comes down to that motorway and Annamieke and Anna Vandenbregen, neither of them have been able to get away, then it kind of, at that point, the race is handed over to Demi and Mariana Voss for a potential sprint at the end, if it's a small, small group. And I'm talking 15 max, maybe 10, maybe less, eight. I'm talking eight riders at the end of this race, And if it's eight riders, it's impossible for me to see past Demi. But Laura Capecchi is on the start list. And she, unlike the Dutch, she has two teammates who are there pretty much purely to ride for her. So there's other riders on the start list who this course really suits. Laura Capecchi, I don't know if it suits her perfectly. But if it is more of a classic style race of attrition, She's just been so incredible this year in races like that and being able to finish it off in the end. Same with Emma Norsgaard. Those, Emma only has Sile, right? And Sile is going to try to win on her own as well. So they're kind of a, a team of two, but really just like two individual riders wearing the same kit. But Laura Capecchi has two worker bees who can help her get to the finish, you know, fresh compared to some of the other riders who are going to be having to do a lot more work like Corinne, for example.
1: I think this is, uh, well, Corinne, that's another person who's been riding incredibly well. We saw at the Giro. um, and she's been climbing quite good. So Marika Cavalli as well showed, um, great form at the Jiro and she can be quite fast at the end too, from, from memory. So, um, for the Italians, I think she would be a pretty good, you know, bet to be there at the finish. Um, and then for the Australians, I have to talk about Australia. I think that this is actually quite a good course for someone like Grace Brown. Correct me if I'm wrong, Gracie. Based on how she's been riding this
3: year. Yeah, look, I I can't go past the tactic of you know having Grace as the leader. Spratty has earned her right to be the team leader for Australia for the last few years of her performances but based on the performance of just this year and the lead up to Tokyo 2021 is Grace Brown she's have she had a stellar season she has all the capabilities to match some of the best riders in the world um, obviously Spratty is a super climber and she's very clever she races very smart but she just doesn't have that kick like grace does and grace can match it with these really powerful girls and can climb as well so yeah i think if i was the the director for that the aussie squad i yeah i'd struggle to not see grace as being the leader because she can really deliver on the day and we know that in a race
1: of attrition like this the sprint at the finish is is something else like um i always think back to rio where i would have thought emma would have had that in the bag with that group going to the line right and then anna got over the top of her so um i love small bunch finishes at the end of a really really hard race just watching them because sometimes you just never know who's gonna have just that last little tiny bit right
3: yeah, it's not really a, a sprint anymore. It's really who's the freshest by the end and who has a, a bit of a kick. But, yeah, it, it's not really a proper sprint anymore, so that's what makes it interesting. Is, that's why Anna won because she, she must have just been that little bit fresher than Emma, and they had similar abilities. But, yeah. Yeah.
0: Another point kind of in Grace's favor for this is if you look at La Course, the climbs potentially were – Similar it, to that climb at La Corse, you know, like kind of really steep changes in gradient throughout the climb, and I think they're going to be shorter at at Tokyo. But she was so strong at La Corse, and she was able to finish it off still with a with a top ten result, even after being in the break and having to do a lot more than I hope she has to do on the day at Tokyo. So I I agree completely. Although Tiff, I think, could be used very, very well towards the end of the race. She could be used really tactically just based on how she's been riding this year and some of the attacks that she was able to throw down at the Giro and also at LaCourse. Yeah, I
3: completely agree with that, Tiff is one of the smartest bike racers that you'll see. And she's a really great team captain. And that's one of the reasons why they've taken her to Tokyo is to, to be that brain on the road. So um, Spratty, who could also be team captain because she also has that race craft, but she will be looking towards the performance outcomes. So it's nice to just have that pressure off and not have to be the thinker. And that's where Tiff will be really awesome. And it's so cool to see her stepped up again this year. And some of those uh, late attacks that she's put in, particularly at the Giro, would have been, perfect for her confidence, and that's really such a great way to set up another teammate if you can't do a lead-out. That being said, Tiff is a great lead-out as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's um, the way she's been racing this year, just like she's back to um, her best actually, isn't she?
3: Yeah, I'd say so, definitely. I think she's gotten stronger and wiser over the years. She's not the old Tiff. The old Tiff was, you know, this young whippersnapper that was a great climber. And she's she's a different athlete now that she's older. She's really strong. You can tell she's done a lot of strength and conditioning off the bike. Um, And she still kept her her wits about her. And it's nice to see her building her confidence back up yet, because she back up again. Sorry, because she hasn't been in some of these race winning opportunities like she has been this year. So you can tell she knows how to do it, but she's still kind of trying to get a groove back, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for the longest period she was had almost settled into that worker role in Canyon Shram. Yeah. Um and you know how it goes once you you get into that mindset, it's hard to switch to the winner mindset.
3: Yeah, definitely. It takes a win sometimes to get back into that. So but yeah. I think every time that she makes a good attack or She's been given the green light to go for it herself. She's getting that little bit closer, and I think, yeah, this year's been that perfect lead-up to the the Games for her. Yeah. I'm super curious about this finishing
1: circuit because you said there's some walls in there, Abby, and the first thing that just popped into my mind is Sea Otter Classic racing around that racetrack. Mm-hmm um and i mean for anyone who's raced on some of these race tracks they can be really hard like really really hard there's one in australia we used to do an anzac day and had like a brutal little climb in it because i don't know when you watch that formula one um tv show that we love so much on netflix it's just like these it appears these flat courses but actually some of these these I don't know if it's a Formula One track. Maybe it's a moto. They can be really difficult on a bicycle. So for me, I don't know. I- I'm really curious about this-, this finishing
0: lap. It sounds like it's pretty challenging. And according to Sean, the undulation does not show up on if you were to throw it into Strava or throw it into um, anything that generates a profile, it won't do it any justice. Um, a lot of the riders haven't been able to ride it yet because it's been closed. But one thing that's really interesting about, and also for the technical descent heading into that is that if it rains, if there's any weather, it completely is going to change the, the dynamic of the finish of the race, because for a motor motor track, I mean, there's oil all over the roads that is impossible to get out, get out, get off, And if it rains at all, if it's even a tiny bit damp for a bicycle, that is just treacherous. Didn't even consider that. (laughs) One of my inside sources said that if it rains, it's going to completely change the race.
1: Yeah. What? Well, I mean, Tokyo is like, the humidity there is insane, right? So the chances of rain is always quite likely in summer.
3: Yeah, I think there's a good chance.
0: My, my source wouldn't have mentioned it if there wasn't Your a my source.
3: I love <laughs> this. <laughs> That's another factor too is the weather and the heat has been one of the things that has been talked about most for the last two years, I guess, of preparations for all sports is like this, this could be the hottest Olympics Ever, and that's going to be a bit of a, a key factor into the performances of many athletes. And a lot of riders have been doing specific heat training. And like Anna Meek posted some stories recently of her doing a still trainer workout in a sauna at the top of Lavigno. I think
0: <laughs> that's what Amber yeah. Neben did for Doha, and she won. So yeah. she was.
3: She's yeah. And trainer this-
0: workouts in a sauna, fully clothed, like long pants, long, like long sleeve jersey and everything in a sauna for yep. Doha. Yeah. And the thing love- is,
1: K- Qatar was a dry heat. I mean, Gracie and I were there. I really suffered and I suffered through all the heat training beforehand. So I was never going to be equipped to race there. But um, my, my partner was in Tokyo two years ago because they decided to host. The junior world championships there, um, so then they could bring back feedback basically to to the rowing community of what it was like, and it's it's very much if Australians are listening, if if you live in Cairns in summer, it's that sort of dense, moist, like mm. you're wearing a wet blanket, Ugh. and it's really really warm. That's the sort of it's not that dry heat. That, it's like you know you get it's like sp- you're
0: swimming through air.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So, I think that that is a really hard thing to adapt to and there'd just be some athletes that won't cope. And I'm um, that's just a fact. So, hey, we'll play a huge factor into
0: Let me throw out one name that has been very very quiet, hasn't been racing a ton, has been focusing just like blinders on focusing for this Olympics who could very well cope with the heat in like, you know, great. And that's Tennille Campbell. She's on hey. her own. She's She doesn't have any teammates for Trinidad and Tobago. She's completely on her own. But I think that she's super scrappy in the way that she races. She's really quick in a finish. And she's been really, really focused on these Olympics. So I'm excited to see how, how she can go in the finale as well.
3: Yeah, wouldn't that be a fair thing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: I'm just not familiar with, with her climbing. I mean, I know she um, has the potential to to do something special in the finish, but I don't know to enough as an athlete to know how, how she'll go against like the very top in, in such a race, but yeah.
0: I think she can adapt her strengths quite well. And she's had, unlike, you know, the riders that just did the Giro and stuff, she's had a huge break in racing where she, the more time you have off, right, the more you can kind of change your physiological makeup. That doesn't make sense, but I'm trying to find a nicer way of saying you can lose weight so you can go up hills faster or, like, you know, you can... When you're racing, you can't control your environment and you can't control all of the factors that go into being perfect on the day. And of course, racing, some people really, really are strong after they've done a long race, after they've, you, you do these brutal races like the Giro and then you're able to kind of take X amount of days off and then you're even stronger because of it. Because of exactly like the Zwift, Tra- the Zwift thing we were just talking about, right? You can't control your efforts. You can't control when you have to go hard and when you when you don't. And that kind of training is really, really good for speed work, for mentally being able to show up in a bike race and, and be there. But for someone who can stay home and really focus on themselves, that's also another way that I think, like, for Tennille... She's been home for a long time. She's been able to just focus on herself. So it could go one of two ways, but I've raced against her um, in Brittany. Brit? Why did I say it like that? In Brittany. Uh, <laughs> and she, I think she's, she won every stage of that race I did with her and the climbs were not insignificant. I mean, if you've ever raced in Brittany, it's just like up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, like punchy climb, punchy climb, punchy climb after punchy climb. And she, she was amazing there. And I think that run in that season was before she was on a world tour team before she had to basically do what the team told her to do as far as calendar and training structure, when she was able to just focus on herself and do completely her own thing. And I think going into the Olympics, she's reverted back to that and she's been able to really focus on herself. So I don't know if I tap her for the win, but I definitely tap her for being there in the finale.
1: I'm excited. Sorry. I just want to throw this in quickly. Uh, speaking about someone we haven't seen racing for a little bit, Anna Meek.
0: Oh, I was going to say um, Kasha
1: As well. And Kasha I as want well.
0: to talk about
3: Chloe <laughs>
1: As well. But okay, you can talk about her. You can talk about (laughs) Kasha. I'm very excited and curious to see what Anime comes out with. Yeah, me too. That's gonna be super interesting. Yeah. Just knowing knowing her and uh how focused she is and um calculating. Like I feel like everything has probably been leading to this. And I know that We've been somewhat critical in her performances, like, oh, it's nothing like twenty nineteen, and this and that. But you just never know with Anemik. So, um, for me, I'm very, yeah, I'm excited to see what what comes out of her at these games in the time trial and in the road race. Yep,
3: yeah, for sure. She definitely hasn't had the performances that she's had in the past this year. Um, and you have to wonder where her head's at. But yeah, like I think all this prep that she's just she she's been very clear that Tokyo has been a huge focus of hers. And definitely she's such a scientific athlete. She'll be doing everything to the nth degree, everything that's you know, prescribed by her coach, by her nutritionist, by everyone that she's working with. Like she will be doing everything to the maximum. And I'd be really Interested to see how it all plays out on the road. Abby,
0: Kasia? I mean, I think we should talk about Chloe Dygart because that's a really interesting situation. As far as Chloe Dygart for Team USA, she's never been on a team before. I mean, she was on a team, yes, but she was on a team that was her own team that basically she was the leader of, the undisputed leader of. She got to pretty much do her own thing and now she's on a team where ruth and uh, corinne are both riding super well and have the potential to be there at the finale of this race and throw down you know a good result and chloe is this very weird uncontrollable factor within team usa where they're not going to be able to tell her what to do she's not going to be able to fit into any team plan. And we have no idea how she's riding knowing Chloe, she's going to show up just absolutely flying. I mean, she was already riding super well at the TT at nationals, but we just have no idea how, how she's riding. What we do know is that she's not great in a team environment. She just doesn't know, right? She's all she's ever done is, is race solo basically and she's not done a road race since yorkshire 2019 it's been almost two years since she raced a road race
2: i mean i guess she was on a team there but it was just a case of her just like getting off the front but
0: i mean if she's going well and she can follow anna vandebregen if anna makes a move that's that's the absolute best thing that Team USA can ask for because no one else on that team can follow Anna if she goes. I think Ruth would be the only one who would be able to try, but if it's on a climb, I the only person on the team who could, in theory, follow Anna if she goes on that kicker around the lake would be Chloe, but she has to make it there first, and we just have no idea what kind of form she's in. But we saw her do that at, at Yorkshire. She she was the only one who was able to follow Vandebregen, you know, on when Vandebregen was going at the end of the race, near the end of the race, when she was going on those kickers. It was only Chloe. And yes, yeah, she got dropped eventually, but, but then there's a huge technical descent rate afterwards, and she's not super well-known for being a good bike handler, so that kind of negates her ability to it, it kind of takes away from her ability to follow anna on the climb right so it's a very odd yeah
1: do we think that chloe will just be putting her focus 100 percent towards a time trial well, then
0: why would they take her for the
3: i think chloe has made it pretty clear that she wants to get every gold medal available to her on the road and the track so yeah. i just worry I I agree with Abby. I think that she is really the key rider to go with Anna and hopefully, like, they've kind of matched her up with their tactics to to do that. But I, I just worry for Corinne and Ruth's sake that she takes away their opportunities when it gets, you know, more interesting if there's attacking and stuff going on in the second half of the race and they're there and they're able to go with moves or to be there in a sprint. So, yeah, that's, I guess, what where my concern comes in for for their sake.
0: (laughs) It's a huge bummer. Uh, Look, I have opinions. I'm not going to beat around the bush. It is a really big bummer when you have a rider who literally doesn't race on the road (laughs) in two years who makes the Olympic team to race on the road. When there are riders out there who have sacrificed massive aspects of their lives to be able to race full-time on the road in Europe. And you have a rider, and this is a flaw in the USA cycling system, right? That she was able to automatically qualify for the road race, even though she's not raced a road race in two years. And I'm, I'm fully prepared to eat my socks at the end of this race. When she gets a podium, when she podiums, I don't see her winning, which in that case, you know, why waste the spot? When it could have been given to someone who was more deserving, I, I just have no way of of pretending to be not critical of that decision by USA Cycling. I she's incredibly strong. She's an incredibly strong rider, and I'm not even going to touch on the tweets and and the controversy there because that would lead into another tailspin that I just don't think we should get into today. But I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's just, I agree, Gracie. It really takes away from two riders who have absolutely worked their asses off for their spots and earned their right to be there. And they're going into this race with basically a wild card teammate who you, who they have no idea if they're going to be able to control and that, that sucks because that just means that Ruth is going to, Ruth is the only person on this, on the USA like on USA's start list, who is going to be able capable of being a kind of captain on the road. And she doesn't need that extra pressure when she's also the rider, one of the two riders who would be able to get a result at the end of this race. It kind of, it means that she's not going to be able to focus on, her form when she's also focused on keeping you know the other riders in check and making sure that they're doing their jobs
3: yeah it's just yeah i think like it just even if you have confidence in yourself and your abilities and your form and you know past racing like corinne and ruth have been racing super well they should have a ton of confidence but your confidence does get taken away a little bit if you don't know how other people are going to race with you and that's tough. And if they had Taylor with them, they knew they would have 100%, 110% of backing to to get their best outcomes for the day. So, yeah, I think it's going to make for good dra- drama, good viewing, but it's certainly when coming from an athlete point of view, it's, it is unfair and that's something that a lot of us have to learn in our career and that's something I actually learned when I was a, a kid because my dad, suffered through some pretty shitty politics in in sports is sometimes you don't get the the fairy tale sometimes things don't go your way and you still have to appreciate it in the moment and when i was in rio i realized that there's you know six thousand or more athletes in the village and there's probably that many or more that also deserve to be there but because of quotas and because of politics It's not actually completely fair. Like most people that go to the Games, yes, they definitely deserve to go, but the equal amount of people also deserve to go.
1: Well, what was it? One of the last podcasts, I think I read a quote by someone, yeah, who'd missed out on the Olympic Games and just... To put it in perspective, yeah, more people miss out on going than people that get to go, right? It's a very, very small percentage of professional athletes ever get to go to the Olympic Games. And, like, even just looking at the start list for the women, there are a bunch of women, like Audrey Cordon comes to mind, who should be there, but like Gracie was saying with quotas and everything. And then also going back to the whole selecting a team and selecting a team of of just winners instead of looking at the dynamics and thinking, well, yes, only one person will be on the podium at the end is is another massive sort of flaw with this whole system. But um, I think actually looking historically at the past couple of Olympics, that's been the problem with the USA team is, I mean, everyone qualified their spot, but they if you look at Rio, they did put in again a bunch of of winners into that team um and they can't pull it they, off like the dutch can no it's just a bunch of, of riders who who knowing the different riders as well generally have no um there's no like not friendship but they've been racing each against each other, say, all season or competing against each other for spots and different things, and there's never, like, a camaraderie between the team. And I can say for the Australians, just from experience, there's always been, particularly in the world's teams, a lot of camaraderie between the riders. Like, when we're told that, you know, Tiff is the team leader or something, everyone's 100% committed to that one rider. I
3: can't really say the same for the USA team. Another thing that I have a problem with is the quotas within cycling in general. So if you have, I don't know how to explain this well enough, but, you know, track quotas and road quotas all go into the same cycling quota. So um, back when I was trying to qualify for Rio, my spot for the road team could have been taken to take another track sprinter. And um, in the case of um, the American team, they're taking Amber Neben because Chloe's actually there in a track spot. And I just feel like, I don't know if there's a a black and white answer to this, but I feel like you should only be able to represent your country in one discipline. And that shouldn't take away a spot in another discipline because that also convolutes the politics of it. And we've seen past examples of. A mountain biker getting plonked into a road race because they took another extra track rider, and they're just—it's just like you know, taking one spot to pay another spot, and it's just it, that becomes unfair as well because another road rider should have been there, or you know, another track rider shouldn't be there. I, I just, yeah, it's complicated as well, and there's no perfect solution to that. But yeah, personally, I just think that you shouldn't be able to do as many as events as you possibly can because I just don't understand how you can, at, in this modern age of sport, be capable of three gold medals in three different events. I think sport is such a high level now that you have to focus on one thing to be good. And, and so many road riders focus only on road for their whole career and then for that spot to be taken by a track rider is, is, is another way of it being unfair.
2: Yeah. They should just be viewed as like different sports basically with their own allocations. Like I was going to say something really dumb. Like it's not like you see swimmers entering the triathlon, but never mind.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a good point. You don't. (laughs) No, it is (laughs) a valid point. I think there's a couple other riders that we should just mention really quick before we talk about kind of the elephant, elephant in the room when it comes to these Olympics. Um, Kashini Wadoma, who's been out training, just like Meek, kind of focusing on her herself. Not She didn't race the Giro. So really excited to see how she goes, because she's been really targeting this Olympics. I think the way that the course is, it definitely suits her. If she can go into this, if the punchy climbs in the circuit are challenging enough. It's a finish just like Amstel Gold, which is perfect for Kasia. Got her name written all over it. So really excited for her as a rider. She's got Anaplicta with her as, as a worker bee, kind of. And they're really good friends and have raced together a lot in a lot of national events. So for the two of them, you know, Kasia has one person who she can really count on in the race, which is really, really great. Um, I, Italy is an interesting situation that I think we should also talk about because they have, you know, a handful. Italy, Italy and Germany both have a handful of riders that are really good, but that it. it I don't know how Elisa is going to do on this course. I, I think that... It's she's she's obviously a great climber. By the end of the Giro, she was riding into form. She looked great in the final couple of days, but tactically, not the best. So when it comes to kind of being able to make calls while moves are flying on in the final twenty k of the race, I don't know how Elisa's going to go. Soraya Paladin and Marta Bastianelli. Soraya's is an amazing climber. I'm I'm sure that she'll be able to help a lot. Marta Bastianelli kind of strikes me as another one of these outlier who outliers who probably won't contribute to the team effort a ton. Um, I say that completely like from observing racing, and I, I I don't know anything about her really, other than her positive doping test um, and. <laughs> Sorry, I I'm not going gl- to like gloss over that. Um, so with Marta Cavalli and Elise Borghini, it's going to be really interesting for me to see how those two are able to work off of each other because obviously they really don't do it very often. They don't race together very often and unlike the Dutch, you know, they don't have training they don't have training camps. Like Italy doesn't take the four Olympic girls to a training camp together like the Dutch do. So I'm excited to see how they race together and also very intrigued to see how that's going to play out.
2: Elisa's only option really is to go long. If she she finds herself in a group at the finish, like she's not going to be able to contest that.
1: Yeah, nine so, times out of ten, she will be the fourth ride out of four. Yeah. Mind you, so, she got the bronze at Rio, but that was because Mara really can't sprint.
0: <laughs> Wait, Mara had been off the front for a long time.
1: I know, but even Mara will say herself. She, can't sprint, she knew not <laughs> Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I'm I wonder how Marta Cavalli is sprinting actually because we've not really we saw at the Giro that she's climbing super well, but sometimes when a rider transforms like that, they lose their pop. They lose their ability to really Sprint at the end of a race, so I don't. I'm. I don't know how she's going to be in the finale if she can make it all the way there, um, Cavalli. And I think climbing wise, she can make it there. But I, a year ago, I would have said, oh, she's. She would definitely be who they should ride for in this in this finish if Elisa can't get off the front earlier. But I, I have honestly no idea how Cavalli's sprinting right now.
1: Like Gracie said though, at the end of what we're expecting to be a very hard race, a race of attrition. It, it's just who has more juice in the legs. Truth. Not not who can more sprint. juice in the legs. <laughs> that sounds <Yeah>. gross.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Germany has a lot of riders, but also Germany has the 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 maximum, the four. Um, but I don't I don't know. I, I feel like it's 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 really, really interesting to me how how it always shakes up with the number of riders that go for each country and how spots are allotted. Because you know, GB only has two spots. Lizzie's only got one teammate, but Germany has four spots and I and five riders. Which I'm assuming they've they've done something um, with track rider Lisa, right? Lisa. So yeah, they've Lisa, got Lisa, Leanne Lippert, uh, Hannah Ludwig, and, and Trixie. So maybe Trixie's only doing the TT or, or something like that, um, or is an incredible captain on the road. So she could be doing that as well. But for for Germany, it's interesting that they have the f- full four spots, but don't really see any one of them, you know, winning the race. Lisa Brennauer is a great, great course for her. She's a, really be strong yeah she's she's strong in a in a course like this she's she's done really really well this season she's consistently finished you know third to sixth but been up there the whole year
3: i would definitely put money on her i would put money on brenauer to be on the podium i don't know about the win but She's just, yeah, she's such a great all-around athlete and And, she's um, having quite a good season. On a side note, I reckon this
1: is Trixie's fifth or sixth Olympics.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: Yeah. So great road captain that they've got there. Trixie, yeah, I mean, with all her experience. um, And we know that the the Germans will race as a team, so um, they're going to have a really strong team.
0: Unlike other teams that have four riders, they'll actually ride together. Yeah. And we don't have to get back into the US. Also, Olga Sky is on this start list, and I just can't with that. So she just pops up
3: at every bloody Olympics, doesn't she?
0: <laughs> when we saw
3: her at Rio, like <laughs> the whole Russian thing was happening around that time, and we were just riding <laughs> along, and we we're all just like, what? Like she was there. Yeah, because she rides for Uzbekistan now. did you think she was going to be here?
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> what? Because that's well, didn't it. she pull out the
1: double bronze at yeah. um, London? I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she just moving disappears on, yeah. for many years, <laughs> and then yeah, <laughs> moving on indeed. <laughs> um. All right. So, is there anything? This is a long episode. Is there anything that we want to touch on uh, that we haven't? For the actual racing, I think we're gonna do a recap of the race episode and talk about the TT at that point so we can kind of get into that later. But as far as the road race, anyone got any additional thoughts before we talk about COVID? All right, we should probably talk about COVID.
3: <laughs> I think so. I mean, we
0: don't. <laughs> We don't have like yeah, time to talk about, about COVID. but it's definitely, you know, like I said, elephant in the room because already there's a bunch of athletes that have tested positive, um, cases are spiking all over the world at this point. And so it's morally, there's a question of whether or not this should be happening. And, um, and also, you know, it always, it, it could impact the race because, not all of the riders are vaccinated even if you are you can still test positive so um that is definitely like a a black cloud that is hovering over the olympic games right now
1: i think yeah we briefly discussed it this morning via text but like as long as it doesn't go into the community um and that has been the biggest concern because i guess athletes going um to the Olympics or even if we look at our sport, they've been competing since last year with the non risk of, you know, travelling through airports and, and whatnot that they're at risk of getting COVID, right? Um, for me, the biggest thing is definitely just it not going into the community there because the whole issue around hosting the Games was just Japan wasn't doing so well in terms of... Um, I think, vaccinations and just infection rates and everything. So that was the biggest risk in holding such an event is you're putting a population at risk. Um, I'd like to hope a lot of athletes are vaccinated because um, whilst infection rates are going up around the world, I mean, if I look at Belgium as an example, the reason why infections are going up is because we're back in the community again. We're doing normal things again, but our population is mostly vaccinated now. So our hospitalisation rate is is not high and our death rate is like two people per day. So that's sort of the what you're aiming for with this. At least that's my interpretation of getting vaccinated is you can still spread the virus, but you're not going to be as simple. Simp- oh, God. You're not going to have the symptoms and you're not going to get as sick. So that's that's the biggest thing is just hopefully it doesn't get into the community and i have faith that the that the ioc has been doing everything they can to ensure the safety of the japanese population
0: you have faith i do not have faith i feel like the ioc is a corrupt corrupt system just in <laughs> just wanting to make money and for them you know they don't give two shits about what happens to the community in Tokyo as long as the games go ahead and they get their paycheck at the end of this
1: but the my understanding is you can't go out actually that being said I have seen on Instagram people working at the Olympics who've been going out into the community
0: exactly there's always it's mostly
2: it's mostly staff that have had uh, the 62 cases i think a lot of them are staff um not very many of them are actually athletes and
0: the athletes that have tested positive from from my understanding are all athletes from smaller countries that are not vaccinated who are coming in you know
2: not to be like public health messaging here but crucially you can still catch it if you're vaccinated like yeah that's what people seem to not be able to understand that Like vaccination isn't doesn't make you bulletproof. Like, so even if people are vaccinated, like they still have it. They can still catch it. They can still pass it around. So, that isn't even like a cure all for spreading it. Sorry, I'll get off my. No, no, no. It's it's true
1: because I've seen a lot of stupid stuff passing on Twitter. Like oh, vaccination rates are going up, but infection rates are going up. And I'm like, well, just like I said, it's because we're opening up our communities again and doing normal things and walking around like normal. But, again, the the hospitalisation rates are completely down. Death rate is down. That's what we're aiming for. COVID's not going anywhere. It's going to stay. And I think people need to get their head around that. But, Abby, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just being too positive as one of the
2: the Powerpuff girls your
0: bubbles and i'm yeah blo- blossom now
3: not this again
0: <laughs> i think i veer
3: more to abby's sentiment to be honest as well like personally i'm glad that i'm not going to tokyo and i'm glad i didn't have to try and make that decision because at the end of the day any moral decision has to come down to the individual still at the moment. And that sucks, actually. Like, that was something I struggled with majorly last year. And I'm not one to be that prone to high levels of anxiety, but I was, I felt so bad last year because of all of these questions that come up of like, why should I be able to travel? Why am I more special? I shouldn't be going. People are dying. What if I infect someone? What if I bring it home with me? Um, It's just like, yeah. And for Japan to go into a a state of emergency and still have an Olympic games is kind of mind blowing. And I'm aware, I think that the only people that could have canceled the Olympics is actually the IOC, not the Japanese government, because of the contracts involved. So it's such a tough situation and, and for both sides, Like I really feel for the Japanese community and I really hope that this doesn't create a, a wave for them, but because of some of the protocols that they're bringing in, there's going to be no crowds, no spectating. I think there's going to be a lot of restrictions around travelling in and out and, and I've seen a lot of posts as well of, not athletes, but staff members of the Olympics going to do touristy Mm. things. And I just thought that that wasn't happening. And it's irresponsible to be doing it. And it's even worse to be posting about it. I don't quite understand that. And I also feel really sorry for the athletes who are, a lot of them are stressed. There's a very high profile basketball player in Australia that decided not to go at all because she was having panic attacks. And she just realized that She, It wasn't worth her mental health to put herself in this situation. And for the other athletes that have decided to go um, to then get a positive and not be able to compete, like that's super unfair and and that's going to create a whole other wave of mental health issues in our athlete population. And that's not really a fair way to have the Olympics either, is it? Like the Olympics is based on fairness and this just doesn't seem to be providing that environment.
1: I didn't even think about that either. The the fact if you test positive, then you're out.
0: Yeah, and you have to quarantine in Tokyo, so you're stuck there. Not.
1: I would have such anxiety about going no. as well because just all the things you just listed off, but the fact that you've been training for so long now, maybe you're one of those athletes who's been holding off for a year to retire after the Games, and then knowing that if you did happen to catch it, you don't get to compete you're stuck in this country and yeah okay (laughs) I
2: take back everything I said 10 minutes ago I mean also like there's the I feel like some people are quite cavalier about it but you don't know how it's going to affect you if you catch it and if you're an athlete who relies on your cardiovascular system like you could have lasting effects from it like to go to what is like, it could become a whole, a bubble of COVID. It's an athlete bubble. But if the bubble gets infiltrated by COVID, I mean, not to cause anxiety for people right now, but like.
3: There's going to be a lot of athletes. There's going to be a lot of sad stories coming out of the Olympics. And there's probably going to be some cover-up stories too, of countries that don't disclose everything that they should be. So it's, it's almost comes into the realm of doping. It's not the same. It's not that same Argument of fairness and what that doping presents, but it it'll cert- there'll be debate about why a country did one protocol when another country did their, the the better protocol and and who's right in that situation and and should an athlete still deserve their medal because they had COVID mm, and they weren't valid point removed from the competition.
2: Of course, like it's a real. Like for the athletes, it's really stressful and anxiety-inducing and the rest of that. But the biggest thing here is the the public health issue in Tokyo and in in Japan. Like the seven-day average, I'm just looking now, in Japan is 1,000, over 1,000. So it's like, and it's, it's deeply unpopular amongst the public. Like all the polls for the last, well, since the beginning of the pandemic have shown that nobody wants it. And so, yeah, to go back to what you said before, I think it is simply just down to, money. yeah, okay, yeah, money. And I think, yeah, you can say, you know, athletes, like they work however many years towards this goal and it would be really disappointing. But I think a lot of people, had you asked them like last year, like, do you, do you want a decision to just be made? Is it going to happen or is it not? A lot of people would have just said, yeah, just like make a decision instead of like, it's be, it's just, it's a whole mess, hey? <laughs> that's.
0: I think I if if they'd been like, okay, the the risk is too great. There's way too many factors. We're just gonna cancel it. A lot of athletes would have been pretty happy about it. Honestly, like I think yes, there would have been a lot of a lot of bummed athletes. Like I think you know, Lizzie Dagnan, who probably isn't gonna race for another Olympic cycle and who really, really wants to win this weekend. I think of athletes like her, right? But at the same time, there are much bigger things in the world than the Olympics.
1: And But she even said herself that she, she knows she's entering an Olympic Games, which is unlike the other two that she's been to. And even for her own performance, she she feeds off off the crowds and the atmosphere and what it's norm- normally like to compete at a high-level event, this is not going to be like any Olympic Games any athlete who's been to an Olympics has experienced before. So for the ones going for the first time, I mean, they, they don't know what to expect at a normal Olympics, but still this is, it's not a normal event by any means.
3: No, it's going to be very strange to have an opening ceremony with no crowd and all the events with no crowd. And, yeah, a lot of events, if not every event, kind of relies on that energy from the audience and the crowd. So I do feel sorry for everyone that's going to experience this as something lesser than what an Olympics experience should be. But, yeah, I want to reflect what Amy said. The the biggest issue is the public health, so I really hope for Japan's sake, that it doesn't escalate to something much worse.
0: I mean, like, like you said, Gracie, there's, there's countries who are fully denying that the coronavirus even exists, who are sending athletes to these, these games. Um, And then like the opening ceremonies is all the athletes together. At that point, there is no such thing as a bubble. And if they were to kind of break up each individual event into a bubble and not have the opening ceremonies and the cyclists are all with the cyclists, I would prob- probably feel a lot more comfortable about having my wedding be three days after the Olympics. But, you know, it's which is completely inconsequential. I'm, I'm just using it as an example. It
1: just boggles my mind there's even an opening ceremony. Exactly. I was going to say, and I didn't maybe, even know they were having one.
0: No, I, what? Well, yeah, it, it's... I am excited for the Olympics as an event like the bike racing. I absolutely love steeplechase and Emma Coburn. So I'm excited to watch a bunch of the other events. But there is this like overlying black cloud that I just can't seem to stop thinking like this shouldn't be happening. This shouldn't be happening. They shouldn't be doing this morally. This is wrong that that the event that the Olympics are even going forward. If it had been one month ago, I probably wouldn't be saying the same thing but right now with the way that things are going with the Delta variant and everything, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's really tough. It's tough. It's, I'm not a, I'm not super uh, positive about, about the situation and about, you know, the sports washing that is kind of, I don't know if sports washing is the right term in this particular situation, but it's, The Olympics themselves are a very controversial thing and this kind of just adds on to it. That's a really negative note. That positive note. note. (laughs) Should we make picks and that can be our finale? Yep. All right, Lauren, who's your pick? Do I have to start? Okay, should we, like, say, all right, let's make picks, but we just exclude the Dutch team? Because we're well, then Oof. then we'll all lose. All of our picks will lose, but at least it'll be more <laughs> exciting.
2: Oh, man.
1: Okay, Grace Brown. Just because I'm being patriotic.
2: Oh, then Lizzie Dagnan.
3: I'm <laughs> <Okay. laughs> doing that. It's Gracie. coming home. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> um, because... Because Lauren, <laughs> because Lauren picked Grace, I'll pick Ruth Winder.
0: It's a good one. I'm going to go with Kashini Wadoma. Moon, favorite. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We will be back, heck, right after the road race to talk about, break down the race, talk about what happened and preview the TT. Gracie, you want to come back for that episode? Yeah.
1: I mean, Gracie was probably going to be my fill-in by that point. <laughs> We hope.
0: We need to keep the Australian accents going on the podcast, so.
2: <laughs> yeah, we need the variety.
0: <laughs> it's a great mix. It's great. Okay, thank you so much for listening. This has been a very long episode, but <laughs> we there was a lot to unpack with the Olympic Games. Thank you so much to Swift for sponsoring this episode, and we will be back very shortly. Keep an eye out on cyclingtips.com for a written preview of the games. You'll find a map and stuff on there. Yeah, that's all we got. Bye. After we finished recording the podcast, I decided I wanted to throw in the interview that I did with Corinne Rivera before the d'Italia, where we talked about her dad and everything... That she's been through in the last couple years going to the olympics this year finally after fighting for it for so long and it was a really emotional interview for both of us um especially for corinne i'm so so grateful for her for being open and honest about everything she's been through and the fact that she was willing to talk about her dad and um his his passing due to covid So I'm throwing in a 10-minute conversation with Corinne, and if you want to read the full story, it is up on the Cycling Tips website. How was the course? Yeah, it was
4: pretty good. Um, First race back with, um, like, some good form. Didn't have my greatest form in the spring. Um, But, yeah, was up in there, and uh, just a slight miscommunication because we had Liana up there, but um, me and Juliet were also kind of coming back um but ended up 12th, but uh and on eighth. but i think uh, if we kind of close that gap, i think could have been pretty for the
0: um, but yeah just i heard from inside sources that you were really really strong at nationals
4: <laughs> yeah uh, nationals was fun um yeah definitely legs are good um i had an altitude camp up in ed um so, yeah, I had a good time, and I think uh, all the hard work's starting to to pay
0: off. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to talk to you about your dad, because the impact he had when you were younger and, and kind of getting into the sport and what that meant in the beginning.
4: Yeah, I mean, looking back now, it's sort of everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's still pretty hard to talk about, but um, – no i think we both uh, shared a passion for cycling and i think also shared a passion for just being good at anything that we do i think whatever we put our minds to i think we always kind of went 110 percent um to do well at the things that we do um so we were both really similar in that respect um but yeah for cycling i think we both really enjoyed it and also we both really wanted to do well. So it's something that we took all the way. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful for that.
0: And he was there for a lot of your racing when you were younger. I mean, he used to travel around to your races and stuff.
4: Yeah. He, you know, he was like my first coach when I was younger and just Just sort of like figured it out. Like, (laughs) you know, what's the goal and then preparing for a race and then kind of replicating what a race would be like, um, in training on, in the day to day. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, I was always at my races and for nationals it was like the summer vacation in the motor home. Um, and that was like a, a thing for a long time while I was a junior. And then, uh, he went to junior worlds my first year when I was in Russia and then, uh, uh, my parents didn't go to the one the next year in, in Italy. Um, and then, uh, yeah, now in my, I guess, older years, they went to all, a lot of different collegiate nationals and also, uh, yeah, world championships and stuff. So, yeah, they're, they've always had my back.
0: Were they at any of the races where you had, like, a really good race or you had a really special result? Like, your, I know, I think they were at your elite nationals when when you were on sunweb a couple years ago that was a good one uh and then they kind of like surprised me as well because
4: uh they had not originally planned to go um but my dad got the new model 3 tesla and i think he really wanted to go on a road trip and see like what is it really possible to go road trip in an electric car so um yeah my either my mom or my dad, I think it was my dad, he randomly asked me like, Oh, what hotel are you staying at? And I just thought that was so odd. I was like, why do you need to know what hotel I'm staying at? And uh, my parents aren't really good at surprises. So then I figured out that they were driving on the way (laughs) from California to Tennessee. Um, But yeah, that was probably one of my biggest race wins that they were around for.
0: Can you tell me a little bit what the last year has been like?
4: Yeah, a year from now. Let's see. I think um, I was sort of on my bike packing trip slash bachelorette party um, and got pulled out of that early. So to <laughs> to be honest, a bit of a shit show. Um, nothing really going my way. Um, had to go back to Europe before the borders closed, and then racing wise it was just okay. Uh, I had crashed, uh, during training, we were at altitude camp in Austria and I uh, got a concussion. So then I stepped out of some of the races that I normally would have done really well out like, uh, La Corse and flu last year. Um, so last year was a bit mediocre. Um, still got a couple fourth places at, at the Giro. Um, so not so terrible, but not usually how I race. Um, I mean, also it was just during Corona. So it just also just a weird time in general. Um, and then had a good, pretty good off season. Um, yeah, good training and went to my first team camp and everything. Um, but my dad picked up, well, actually my whole family, except for me and Nate picked up COVID in December. Um, and he was in the hospital already during the first camp. So. Um, yeah, just really hard and then made the call to go home, uh, in February because I wasn't doing so well. Um, and he was doing better his last three weeks, so we were pretty hopeful and his goal was just to wake up from sedation. Um, but yeah, that just never came and, uh, he passed in March and, uh, yeah, just a really, really difficult time in my life. without a doubt, probably the the hardest thing I am currently still also going through, Um, but still really trying to make the most of the present moment Um, and also honoring my dad in the best way that I can. But uh, things are shaping up now. Um, My form is better. I made the Olympic team. And, uh, yeah, now I know my dad is with me everywhere now, so he doesn't have to drive across the country to to see me
0: making the Olympic team after everything must be a pretty huge emotional thing for you
4: yeah yeah it's kind of bittersweet almost like it would have been cooler if my dad was still around but I just have to keep reminding myself that he is always around and he's everywhere um a lot of things remind me of him and I know that he is still proud so
0: um, yeah, just
4: have to keep remembering that.
0: I mean, I feel like from the couple times that I met him, he was proud of you no matter what. Yeah,
4: absolutely. So, uh, I know he was always stoked, but, uh, I always also keep pretty high, high standards for myself and, uh, always want to give it 110%. Um, so, but
3: yeah, he was always uh, stoked for me.